and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm exhausted. I know you we, are. Uh, I apologize in advance if this is not a good episode because I'm. <laughs> we are uh, starting late and I have more shit to do tonight and then I have to get up early and um, uh, this is this is my life now. No, Sorry to hear no that. free time. I'm Things sorry to hear that. piling up on the DVR. Because I still have a DVR. I haven't cut yeah. the cord yet. Can't do that till June, turns out. Are you caught up on Hannibal? Nope. I am. Yeah, well, we boy, can't oh talk boy. about it. We can't cannot talk, talk about, about it. it. Yeah. Um, that, is a, that is a show that I absolutely would not spoil for someone, even if they're like two or three weeks behind. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I just avoid spoilers. I wouldn't blame anyone. Uh, I, I, I've always felt that the onus is on. You know the the person, the receiver. Yeah, it's it's on you to avoid being spoiled if you. Yeah, if you're behind. it is your that job said, to plug your ears and go la la la. It's um, that's that's on you. That said, this is something that came up on Hey Watch This, which you co-hosted last week. I haven't listened. Did you like the How I Met Your Mother finale? In what sense? Did you enjoy watching it? No. Okay. Then, um, <laughs> is there another sense? Huh? <laughs> what is the other uh, sense that um, I could have meant? Uh, appreciating it as a finale. As opposed to just enjoying the experience of just watching a show, but also appreciating it as ending a thing. Did you like it in that way? Kind of, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't watch it, because I haven't watched the show in years. Um, but anyway, uh, speaking of spoilers, we're already off topic, but that's okay. Um, the uh, What is this? I'm scratching my mouth. Oh, uh, it, it looked like you were giving me the signal for you have something on your face. Oh, no. But you were just scratching. Okay. About to have my fist on your face. Um, I think I think what was weird about it is not that you were scratching your mouth, but that you were making direct eye contact with me while doing it. I'm trying, that to, is be, weird. I'm trying to be supportive. <laughs> I'm trying to, like... But I bet you and I talk for, like, two hours a week on the podcast. I usually am not looking at you while I'm talking, but that's just me. Yes. Um, I, I recorded an episode of More Than One Lesson earlier today with a guest, and uh-huh. with guests I always try to have eye contact, and it's hard for me to break out of that at the moment. Okay. So I'm just um, going to be locked in here, David. So speaking of spoilers, I won't say for those who haven't, because this isn't a, isn't a TV podcast, I can't imagine, uh, you know, I can't assume that people have caught up, but there was a major um, a major thing that happened on Good Wife, the Good Wife, if you yes. go. Yes. And the AV Club did one of their sort of lists inspired by... You know, it was like 15 blanks were blank because to even give you the name of the list would kind of give some of it away. And their header photo, which is on the front page of AV Club to click on the list, was a spoiler. That's shitty, right? Because even if you're trying to avoid good wife spoilers, I don't think a person would think, I better not even look at the front page of AV Club, right? Yeah, that's... It's yeah. a spoiler before you even have a chance to process uh, what yeah, it is. Before, yeah, you could you could be doing your level best to avoid spoilers and have been spoiled by that. I think it would have been clever if they had had that spoiler, but they put a like a black sensor bar over the spoiler part of it. I think that'd uh, be neat. Uh, yeah, something like that. I don't know. It's it seemed pretty shitty to me. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh, not what we're talking about. Yeah. What are okay, we talking about? Okay, so we got a couple things at the top of the show. One, so I, I never went to put in their tweaked uh, tweaked earbuds. It's tweaked.com slash pretension. 
That's not right at all. It's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. That's where you go for professional quality earbuds, which are, they really are high quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors, and they really are stylish and sharp. Mm-hmm. Uh, not literally sharp. Your ears will be fine. Yeah. Um, your ears will be more than fine. Your ears will be basked in be- beauteous sound uh, when you uh, buy your earbuds from tweakedaudio.com. And by going to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension, you get one third off and no shipping charges. Indeed. Uh, and that is one way that you can help the show. And uh, it sounds like a lot of you have in, in the last couple of weeks. And that's greatly appreciated. Another way that you can do that is to purchase our premium episode for just $1.29. Friend of the show, Jason Eakin, co-editor Scott Nye, David and myself, we uh, all got together and talked about the year 2007, quite possibly the second best movie year of all time. Uh, <laughs> or at least of our lifetime. Of our life, certainly in our lifetime, yes. Uh, and uh, the episode is, is closing in on three hours. It's about two hours and 50 minutes long. And uh, you can buy it for one twenty nine. So if you it's go, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of content. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm not saying not giving any qualify. Like, yeah. not saying it's good or bad. It's just a lot of podcast. For, yeah, a lot of bang for your buck for a dollar twenty nine. But I we're getting a lot of good feedback. I'm really, I've really been excited by by what people have been saying. Yes, and a lot of people have been have been buying it. and We really appreciate it. But uh, but that is a way that you can help support the show um in light uh, in lieu of a uh, like a donation drive and stuff like that obviously if you want to donate go right ahead but buying tweaked audio buying the premium episode stuff like that helps us a great deal so uh so please do that go to battleshippretension.com you'll see a little graphic on the side that says uh 2007 with uh, photos of uh, uh mark ruffalo from zodiac and uh tommy lee jones and uh daniel Day lewis so click on that and uh and help us out so um, okay. So at the top of the show, before we get into, uh, our, our other sponsor, we'll, we'll wait on that. There are two things that I wanted to bring up. One, both of them equally important, but neither of them require a great deal of time. So a few people have passed away. A few notable, notable people have passed away, uh, in the world of, of Hollywood and entertainment in general over the last, uh, couple weeks. Uh, one that, uh, was a very big deal was Mickey Rooney, who is 93, um, I don't mean to speak ill of Mickey Rooney. Um, I just don't have, I don't, I'm just saying, why would it, you, I, well, I didn't expect that to come out. by what I mean is uh, his is not the death I want to focus on. Basically. Oh, okay. Um, and I feel bad about that because of course he's Hollywood legend and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, I have not seen a whole lot of movies with uh, him in them, but I've always enjoyed what I saw. Um, and so have you seen, be, it's a mad, 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 mad world. I sure have. I saw it. Uh, I saw it when I was a kid and then I saw it again a few weeks ago. Oh really? And it is delightful. I'm sure. Um, there's a scene where, uh, where Ethel Merman is, this does not involve, uh, Mickey Rooney. Unfortunately, Ethel Merman is talking to, uh, uh, Jonathan Winters uh-huh. who plays kind of this big lug kind of guy. And she's being Ethel Merman. Is it Ethel Merman? I think it is. Yes. And so, and she's like this very entitled mother-in-law, not his mother-in-law, but somebody else. And so he's talking about like, ah, he's, I'm not going to drive you one more, you know, one more foot or whatever. And she just is like, Oh, please drive on you big, stupid idiot. <laughs> just, I couldn't stop laughing. It was delightful. Everyone seek that out. It's, it's, it's worth the, the money and the time. Anyway, uh, and, and Mickey Rooney is in that as well. And he, uh, he plays off of uh, buddy Hackett and the two of them are, are very good together. And so, uh, so yes, he will certainly, uh, be missed. Uh, I, I always enjoyed him on, 
The Simpsons when he played himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, oddly enough, the death that got me more was the death of comedian John Panette. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's for someone our age, especially right. comedy nerds our age, that was... Uh, I'm definitely more familiar with the work of John Panette than I am Mickey Rooney. Well, and also he is... Not only was he like a, a you know working comedian who built an audience and that sort of thing but he is one of the first comedians i remember knowing right you know, Do you know what it, i mean like yeah like you, when i was like a kid you hear the name john panette and you know who that is absolutely at a very young age yeah yeah i mean when i was watching you know the ha network and i saw clips and stuff you know i saw his you go now and, uh-huh. and all that sort of thing uh he found a way so many of his he was a big guy i mean it probably explains why he passed away so young but uh he was a big guy and a lot of his jokes had to do with being a big guy. One could say, all right, how many, how often can you go to that? Well, he found a way to do it and make it fresh and funny pretty much every time. And it was, uh, it was astounding. If you watch, uh, stuff that he, he, he had a way of just delivering a line that isn't inherently funny in a way that is funny. Like he talked about how for somebody like him, when somebody brings a salad, he's like, oh, that's he goes, this is basically just a promissory note for uh, for food. And he's like, he goes, this means the food's coming. I'll wait right here. Um, And his I'll wait right here was just really wonderful. And so uh, but yeah, he was one of the first comedians uh, that I remember watching and laughing at when I was a kid. And uh, and so it is uh, it is sad to me that he has passed away. Um, And. So I just wanted to comment on that. That uh, while, I'm glad you did. I was also a fan. Yeah. While other people are, are mentioning Mickey Rooney as well, they should. Um, I wanted to mention uh, John Panette. Um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about at the top. So, okay. Then this might get us into our topic, I think, right? It might, perhaps. <laughs> um, are, are you seeing the text message I just sent you? Yeah. And the first thing I... And I totally misinterpreted it. Uh, I glanced at it too quickly and thought you were referencing a person that has been on our show before, uh, noted comedian <laughs> and improviser. Uh, but that's not the case. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, sure. All right, that's good. that's completely against what we were talking about earlier. That's fine. This means nothing to the listener. Um, so, okay, Tyler and I talk so little off mic that I had to like send him a text message during the conversation here. Because I knew that I would, I might not get a chance to talk to him about it. Yeah. So we basically try to cram. We've joked about this before. We try to cram a week's worth of running a podcast and website into the three hours a week we spend together. Indeed. Um, <laughs> as much of it on mic as possible, because we like to, we like to be a, a transparent podcast. Yeah. And uh, boy, we sure are. People can see right through <laughs> us. Um. So okay, Captain America: The Winter Soldier came out. Uh, this last weekend. Uh, good things. I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot, almost primarily because in many ways it doesn't feel like a superhero movie. It certainly is. That's what a lot of it, people are saying. But it feels like a Bourne movie. And do you remember being on, what podcast were we on? Where we, 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 we called in separately. We were both in your apartment. Oh, was it Film School Rejects? It might have been the, yeah, it might have been the, yeah. uh, the Rejects uh, podcast. And we talked about whether or not a superhero movie necessarily needs to be an action movie. 
And I think... Well, there's certainly great action set pieces, but and, it's... But, but I think we are getting... Not having seen Winter Soldier, I think we are getting to a point where superheroes are such a part of this, the movie landscape. Yeah. Or at least the blockbuster landscape. That people are going to be more accustomed or more open to seeing them in uh, variations other than big action movie. Uh, which I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure that, that Winter Soldier has that, but... You know, and that might not be more than a decade off from the superhero, you know, chamber piece. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like an espionage thriller, and it is one of those things where just uh, I'm glad you said variations because super superhero films have been around so long that I like that studios are starting to view them as like, okay, well, the superhero is the constant, so the genre can be a variable, the story can be a variable, like. I don't know. Now that we know what to expect from the hero themselves and know that, okay, they're, pardon me, they're not going to lose. So we know that. So now what can we do with it? And, uh, and I feel like Winter Soldier is the f- really the first one in the Marvel films to, uh, although as, as you know, I, I like what Shane Black did with Iron Man 3 to a certain extent. Um, and so I like that Marvel is starting to take some risks. I'm interested to see how Age of Ultron turns out. And I, I do think you would enjoy Captain America quite a bit. Now, do you think front of the show, Pat Healy, do you think his character will carry over into Age of Ultron? I think so. Yeah, I don't see why not. He's. I'm so happy that we're friends with Pat Healy because he's yeah. in every movie now. I know. I'm he's very, in Cheap Thrills. Yeah. Out in theaters, you know, some theaters across the nation, available on VOD, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's in Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Yeah. And opening this weekend... He's in Ivan Reitman's draft day. One scene. One great scene. scene. A great scene, though. Like, I, at, at my screening, definitely the hardest laughs, the the most boisterous laughs of the movie came from Pat Healy. Yeah, the director. I mean, not that he was laughing. His character's not laughing. Right, people, yes. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying. I got it. I, yes, I understand the nature of comedy. <laughs> that uh, the people themselves don't always know they're in a comedy. Um But, uh, so anyway, so Captain America, I really loved it, as did a, a number of critics. One critic who didn't, okay, not surprisingly, Uh-oh. was Armin White. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he had good reasons, though. Here's the thing, uh-huh. David. I saw my worlds collide because I read his review in, yes, noted conservative magazine and website, National Review. All right? They tend Is not Armin to, White a conservative? I don't know. I okay. don't think so. He might be. I don't, I, I don't know. He's hard to pin down. He's slippery. He's like an eel. Um, and so it's so I read the review and what what was particularly fun for me, because you read it and you're like, OK, this is typical Armand White horse shit. When he talked about <laughs> when he talked about how like, oh, this lacks the heart of Man of Steel, the best of these types of movies. And of course, it's a film that you absolutely detest, as I do. Um, no, I don't detest. I just don't care about it. Um, and so, uh, so stuff like that is fascinating. But as I said, my worlds are colliding. I know who Armin White, sorry, I know what Armin White is. Uh It was fun to look at the comments section in national review because national review does not dip its toe into the film criticism, uh, pool very often. Uh, and it was just so fun to watch people who probably don't care that much about film in general and probably, probably would enjoy Captain America, uh, the winter soldier. And, um, especially because there are, there are definite, uh, libertarian, uh, ideas in there, like, uh, like a Rand Paul type of liber- libertarian. And, uh, so 
it was fun to just scroll down and just watch these people's heads explode. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing fellow conservatives. Any group that is new to whatever phenomenon that I'm well aware of, <laughs> and just like, it's like, oh, now how does Armand White seem to your average person who didn't know what they were getting themselves into when they read this thing and it was just it's so much fun uh, so I'm kind of looking at them now but they they go on they do go on and uh and it's just because and admittedly all of them are arriving at the same at kind of the same conclusion we do they're like what is this guy's problem <laughs> this this guy whose username is lol nope is uh <laughs> says this review is a joke right there's no way any of this could seriously be an honest opinion of the movie. <laughs> Gotta call BS on this. Nobody is that stupid. <laughs> Isn't it just, it's just neat when, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's like if your if your mom were to suddenly, uh, do just, if she were to, if your mom were to start podcasting and then get some like negative reviews or something and she's like, this is hard. And you're like, yeah, see, I told you. Here's another one from uh, a guy named Carl. Bah. I expect to find this kind of garbage in the nation. In changing liberal for conservative, I probably could. So this guy's... I don't think I understand what he's saying. <laughs> I think he's just saying this is just as bad as something you would find in a liberal magazine. Oh, yeah, probably. I think that's what he's but saying. It's, but what, what Armand White is literally saying, but of course, as, as is always the case, it's hard to tell what he is saying because um, he seems to tailor his reviews to piss off literally everybody. Um, is... Uh, what he's basically saying is that this is a film that winds up being kind of anti-American. And so a conservative audience seemingly uh-huh. would appreciate him saying appreciate him saying this. But they, like myself, have seen the film or at least are exci- or saw the first one and just like, what the fuck are you talking about, Armand White? I don't see this at all. No one sees this but you. Yeah. And we make fun of Armand White. I appreciate he's true to himself. And that's all yeah. you can be. All right. It's fine. I, I certainly think he revels in this kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is why I'm more than happy to, to uh, oblige. Here's the Wow. <laughs> this critic in quotation marks completely lost me at his claim that Man of Steel was any good at all. What an idiotic review that truly misses on every level. If you can't see how the Winter Soldier was a fantastic proponent of smaller, less intrusive government, then you've truly missed the point. And you know what? I agree with that guy. I said like there it's very libertarian in many ways. Um, but of course, one can make the argument that it's just as just as critical of like a the like the Bush administration as anything else. Yeah. You should probably stop reading those so, because there's it another is, guy in here. It is a clearly, treasure trove. Because there's another guy in here uh, who is clearly just he's defending Armand White against everything. Clearly, just being a troll. Oh yeah. So he said to that, "Man of Steel was ten times better." You sir are an idiot. This movie is made for morons like you. <laughs> and then someone said, "Yeah, I'm starting to think this guy's a troll." And he said, "No." Try someone who actually knows cinema. Fucking dimwit. <laughs> Isn't it fun? So anyway, so I, I wanted to give that gift to you, David, and to you, the listener. Go to National Review. While you're there, perhaps read some other articles and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, read some fucking sense. Um, I read this review before seeing the movie on Friday. After seeing the movie, I won't be reading any more of Armin's reviews. Two thumbs down for this joyless movie critic, his obsessions with liberal boogeymen, the overuse of ersatz, and giving away the plot without a spoiler, a spoiler alert, and one Rotten Tomato National Review for giving space to this doofus. <laughs> See, some of the comments here are fun. Yeah. And you read it and you're just like, 
Spot on. This guy gets it. Um, but okay, anyway, I'm going to stop looking at that. Yeah. Uh, go and look at it in your off time. It's like its own little holiday. Because now, because now everyone's on board. Everyone, everyone sees Armand <laughs> White now. Okay. So speaking of uh, critics speaking writing of, things, yeah, disagreeing with things that critics have written. Um, let's get into it, shall we? Because just last week we talked about the uh, unceremonious and disgraceful laying off of Owen Gleiberman. Indeed. And we both mentioned that we like Chris Nashawati. Yes. Uh, and I still stand by I like the way he writes. I like that he has... Um, uh, he... Uh, I, I think that Chris Nashawati injects a certain uh, youthful vitality into his prose yes. in a way that never... Um, he, he's not trying so hard to be conversational or cool that it takes away from the point he's making. At least, because I, what what is this? This is the other ad that we got to do. Oh, we got to do another ad real quick. Um, but let, well, let me set up real quick what yes, it is, then do. we'll put it on pause. Um, and I, so I still I still stand by my saying that I like the way Chris Nashuati writes. But he wrote an essay that caused quite a stir on on Twitter. And I, before I had gotten home mm-hmm. last Friday to read my Entertainment Weekly. I started seeing all this people saying this was idiotic. This essay slash review that he wrote mm-hmm. about about um, um, what's his name's under the skin, Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan Glazer as uh, under the skin, um, and so I couldn't wait to run home and and read it. And I and I did so, and um, I have to say I really really disagree with with most of the points that he's making. I disagree with a bunch of things. Uh, let's, let's put, let's put this on pause. Do you want me to read that? You read last week. You want me to read this? Sure. Is this pure copy? I just got to read this. Yes. Okay. This episode of battleship retention, this episode is, Oh shit. <laughs> I don't know how to work your phone. Oh, see, there's the problem. These, uh, these droids, they're pretty complex. Yeah. They're for smart people. I got a dumb old iPhone. It's like <laughs> anyone can use it. Uh, This episode is brought to you by the Double Feature Podcast, the show that discusses two different, sometimes extremely different, movies per episode, comparing, contrasting, and just having fun. This week, they discuss Paranorman and Fantastic Mr. Fox. That's not too different. They're both uh, the stop-motion realm. Uh, they talk about the avoidance of stock characters, unexpected experience that experiences that adults can have while their guard is down, different stop-motion techniques, Tim Burton, Roald Dahl, 3D printing, and so much more. Just go to DoubleFeatureShow.com or click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com to listen. All right. Sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I still have not gotten a chance to listen to their show, unfortunately. And I got to say, uh, every time I... Put together this copy based on their description. Part of me is like, why am I not listening to this? Everything about it. Like, listen, all the stuff you just listed. Yeah, it sounds like a That's blast. a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, I wonder if these guys are kind of kindred spirits. Because yeah. uh, look at all the shit we just said Yeah. <laughs> before we got to the topic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I think you, I, I hope you guys uh, go and listen to Double Feature. Uh, I think I will as well. And then we can compare notes, everybody. But we're not going to do that. Probably not. Um, who knows what? Anything could happen on Battleship Retention. That's right. Um, okay, so if you haven't read the Entertainment Weekly thing, um, Chris Nashawati wrote, it's it's labeled an essay at the beginning. It's called When Movie Stars Act Weird. Mm-hmm. It's about A-list movie stars trying to sort of subvert their 
I don't know, populist or glamorous yeah. uh, image by taking a... Mainstream, you could just say mainstream. Right. Okay, yeah. by taking a weird role in a small indie or artsy movie. Yeah. It's labeled an essay, but then in the last paragraph, it suddenly turns into a review of Under the Skin, which he gives a C+. Yeah. But it, like I felt like I was cheated out of a full review under the skin. Yes, apparently a lot of people did. I, I read some comments myself. Yeah, but I also think that Chris Nashawati clearly didn't think much of under the skin and probably didn't want to. That's probably why he chose to re- write his review right. in the form of this essay because he probably didn't. I don't think he liked it enough to want to devote much thought to it. Right. Uh, and I guess I understand that impulse. Although I mean, part of me says that's your job. But I guess he found an interesting way to do his job. I back when I used to, <laughs> uh, I used to have. Um, I guess a column of sorts. Uh, I don't know. I had a piece in that ran every uh, week in um, the Los Angeles Metro Mix. Mm-hmm. It was about some sort of any sort of film, like a recommended film event to, in Los Angeles to go to that week. And my editor was always my case because I was given like 200 words mm-hmm. and I would always spend like 125 words on like the intro to the idea that yeah. I was getting across. So I... You mentioned the word kindred spirits. I, I kind of feel like, uh, as much as I disagree with his approach here, not I haven't seen under the skin, but just his approach, I also kind of understand it because I tend to think like that. You know, it's it, that's why it's always 30, 40 minutes before you and I get into the topic. I like to give a good ramp up to what I'm actually talking about. We're on. We're making good time today. Okay, good. Uh, by our standards. Um, but uh, I really took issue with... Uh, his tone and it was unexpected for me as a guy who has liked this writer in the past yeah um for him to take this tone and i think my main sort of i guess thesis of my thoughts about this Mm -hmm. is that he is drawing he is creating a false dichotomy Mm -hmm. the you know that uh he he is drawing such a a a a a fine line between you know the the big important movies or whatever that make these people stars or the big, you know, Hollywood movies. And then these weird other things. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, especially in the case of Christian Bale, whom he noted, he like, uh, mentions here, if you're thinking of it this way, you're cheating yourself out of, uh, an analytical overview of Christian Bale as an actor to, 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 to take Batman or Terminator or whatever. And look at it as a completely separate thing from the machinist or, or rescued mm-hmm. on or what have you. um, is uh, I I don't think you're doing um I think you're doing yourself a disservice as a film lover and as a as a critic if you're putting that that wall up there. The thing that I got as I was reading through it, and I fe- I do feel bad that we're you know after the Matt Zoller sites discussion and well see I was on his side on that one. Well, I mean, I had problems with his, some of his rhetorical methods. Exactly, which I think but, ultimately was, is, was my issue as well. Right. Um, but, you know, and then we've made fun of Jeffrey Wells, and now eh. I just bashed Ar- Armin, Wright, uh, Armin eh. White. Armin um, White can take it. <laughs> In fact, he thrives on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, I think so. <laughs> he's like, so. I'm trying to think of an example, like the monster, like you shoot him and he just gets bigger. And oh, bigger. indeed, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Something um, like that, right? Uh, I, I like to see it as like a sort of windmill. Um, and, uh, the, and our anger is what is the wind. Oh, it just keeps it going. Um, I thought you were going to say that we were being quixotic and tilting at windmills by trying to, trying to talk sense about Armand White. (laughs) Well, I can't, yeah. Although I, no, I maintain, I know that we're not, I don't want to go back to Armand White all the way, but I, um, agree with you and I maintain that there is something consistent about his, yeah. If you read all of Armand White's reviews, there is a consistency to his point of view. Yes. And I will give him that 
uh, and I find I do find him interesting yeah. to read. And as much as we make fun of him, like it's hard. He might be a genuine contrarian. He might be whatever, but I don't think that necessarily informs what he thinks of a movie. It might inform how he expresses it, but I don't think it mm-hmm. informs what he thinks of it. And you know, he he knows that he's alone in a mm-hmm. lot of his thoughts, and that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. And so I admire, we make fun of him because it's easy to do, but I admire his willingness to stick to his guns, you know? Yeah. There's one thing I don't, um, uh, tell me how this is art. This is off topic again, but just, uh, as someone who reads and writes film reviews, mm-hmm. but we both are, um, he does something. Armand White tends to reference a lot of other movies mm-hmm. in his movie reviews. And I think, there's definitely something to be said for considering a film within the context of the art of cinema, yeah. you know? But there are some critics that I often feel like go a little too far with it, where I feel like you're taking time away from talking about the thing you're supposed to be talking about by just, I don't know, showing off that you've seen all these other movies or, or whatever it is. Um, it seems like a, a trick. Sometimes it seems like a trick to pad out the space, the, the word count of a review. And, but it's a very blurry line because I, I yeah. generally like the idea of referencing other movies and comparing, uh, you know, uh, and getting the idea of context. But he, Armand White and some other people that I won't mention because I respect them more, I think go a little too far. If I feel, if I'm feeling generous, I will say, um, sorry, if I'm, if I'm not feeling generous, I'll say they're just showing off. If I am feeling generous, I'll say that they, like so many of us have immersed themselves in film so much that they will bring this up the way you and I might in everyday conversation. And they just don't know that it could appear right. like they're showing off. People could say it about our reviews. I tend not to reference a lot of other movies, but I do sometimes. And somebody could say, you're just showing like, if it's a movie they haven't heard of, mm-hmm. they might, it's in, you know, I think it's natural. I know that sometimes I feel like this, not, I try not to, but when somebody references a film that I haven't seen and, and maybe even one I haven't heard of, mm-hmm. especially if it's one oh, yeah, I haven't heard that of. I love. You love it? I mean, well, I love I, it. If it comes across showing off, I don't like that. But I still love that I, I'll often make a little note of it or put it on my Netflix yeah. queue. That's where I arrive eventually. But I, but I first have this this pang of like, it's like, oh, it's like I, I haven't heard of that. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense of obviously inferiority, but then also um, getting a little defensive. It's just like, oh, so of course he brings this up like it's just everyday conversation. Uh-huh. Like we all, <laughs> like we've all heard of this obscure. Fa- that's what I think of first. And then it's like, you got to power through that. And it's like, yeah, I generally don't think of it that I tend to think of that sort of thing as being a little edifying, you know, cause I, yeah. I, that's, I learn about movies as much by reading about them as by watching them. Exactly. Maybe not as much, but close to as much. Well, um, you, you at least hear of other movies, but, uh, but there's something else about the referencing other movies and reviews. I know we're off on a tangent, but I find this really interesting. This is something I think about a lot. Um, sometimes I wonder going back to the Mad Zoller sites article okay. where he talked about people not having, not being aware enough of filmmaking to mm. be able to, to, to write about the filmmaking. Sometimes I get the feeling that someone is referencing a lot of other movies because they lack the vocabulary to describe the things that are happening in the movie they're reviewing on their own. And instead of saying, you know, these, the, you know, the, uh, describing sort of the filmmaking techniques used mm-hmm. or, uh, or, or, or describing the filmmaker's approach, they, do a little shortcut or use shorthand. I was going like, to say shorthand, yeah, yes. just comparing it to another movie. Kind of like when a movie uses, like say when Wes Anderson uses a pop song to and, and borrows the emotion of that pop song for his movie, uh, I feel like it's a shortcut. 
um, and it usually bothers me. But um, I feel like it's the same thing. Perhaps yes. Uh, I would I would agree with that. I, well, that's, because you brought in the anal- an analogy that I don't necessarily agree with. Now I don't know what to do. And, and that is the trouble with referencing other movies because I could say you know. Um, you know, and I in my recent review of Only Lovers Left Alive, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. um, the new Jim Jarmusch movie, I make reference like in the first sentence to the limits of control not being very good. Right. But I wondered even as as I wrote it, like if someone is reading this and really liked the limits of control, I've lost them in the first sentence. I worry about that. You know, if, if you're comparing another, that's a, that's a risk when you're writing a review and comparing a movie to another movie. Um is that if the person doesn't agree with you about the other movie, then they're not going to be hearing the point you're making about the movie you're reviewing. Well, they might hear it, but they might also be like, it's like, well, this makes sense to me, but this person didn't like this thing that I love. So, hmm. So we'll see how it goes. So, I, you know, I think it, that can be helpful uh, to just sort of figure out whether your taste lines up with, right. with the reviewer. And there are plenty of examples other than Wes Anderson. Well, sure. that's maybe more egregious. Maybe I picked Wes Anderson because I'm being a bit of an armored white, uh, <laughs> a bit of a troll. Um, but, you know, every third... You should write for National Review. I'm <laughs> yes. sure that would go great. You know, every third uh, TV season finale for a while ended with a montage set to <laughs> Hallelujah, the Jeff Buckley <laughs> version, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the West Wing did it, and uh, they did it okay, mm-hmm. but it's still not my favorite um, West Wing finale. Uh, so that, that's always kind of annoying. Anyway, we should get back on topic. Okay, sure. So I'm sorry. I'm having fun talking about that. I know, but I just, uh, that's the thing. There's so much to talk about here. Okay. Um, though I think I've probably, oh, that's right. Cause I was, I got off on the tangent of like bashing other critics, which I guess after a while you just have to, but, um, I, but we're not, we're, like, but we're not bashing I wanted to him. talk about. I feel like I'm complete. This was my, the topic was my idea. So I don't feel that bad for, <laughs> for taking over the show for a little bit here okay and i will run out of steam eventually and then you can have the second half of the show probably. thank you i don't feel like we're bashing chris nashawati no i feel like we're disagreeing with him right which is what we did you know when we talked about mad solar sites a couple weeks ago um i mean i i agreed with his points a little more we both talked about disagreeing with some of his uh rhetorical tools or whatever yeah. um it, you know it's not like when we talk about jeffrey Rell, jeffrey wells where we're just you know essentially just saying fuck that guy which yeah. i'm completely okay with uh I, I i haven't really lost respect for krish nashawati i don't think of him the same way i did because i feel like he and i don't view movies as similarly as i might have thought but uh this isn't uh, i just wanted to say that as a i guess a, a late disclaimer we're not bashing krish nashawati at least right. i'm not right no I, I i have no intention but i just uh yeah, I won't, I won't say that. But what I will say, so getting back to the article, the thing that struck me more than anything was how I found it to be deeply cynical. Um, because every time he talks about uh, an actor, you know, a big a big star or whatever, somebody who who's achieved mainstream success, uh, shedding weight or or doing whatever it is they need to do in order to be in this small, perhaps weird film. Uh, there seems to be a certain degree of disdain, and he seems to uh, balk at the idea that this person is doing it because this part intrigues them. He seems to view it as they are doing like they're calculated. They're only ever thinking in terms of their image. Now, don't get me wrong; I'm sure actors think about their image quite a bit, but they are also actors, and a good part's a good part. 
And that goes to what I was talking about, that that um, by, by his logic here, you can also assume they're taking the big roles for reasons that are impure. Right. That's the thing is like he, pres- he presupposes and don't get me wrong. Uh, there are plenty of actors who talk about how they'll do one for them, one for me and directors talk about it as well, um, where they'll do something big and more mainstream that maybe isn't quite so artistically satisfying so that they can do these smaller things. And that's fine, but he seems to assume that these actors won't get any artistic satisfaction out of playing these things. Like, do you mean to tell me that Christian Bale, who, yes, was in The Machinist, you mean to tell me that he got no satisfaction out of playing Bruce Wayne and Batman the way he played them, the way he played him? Right. Like, that's... First off, it's probably the best perfor- the best interpretation of Batman I've ever seen. There's plenty for an actor to sink his teeth into. But I guess because it's big and mainstream, there there are certain people that would think, oh, well, nobody's getting anything out of that. It's like, really? Yeah, but there's also – I also feel like he's taking um, the bigger, higher, higher profile movies as being sort of more real. Uh, because if you look at the part where he talks about Johnny Depp. Okay. Um, um, when he says – Made right after Donnie Brasco, Brasco won him the best reviews of his career, Depp directed and starred in The Brave. Um, you know, I paraphrased the second half of this. <laughs> but uh, the the fact that he references, oh, Johnny Depp was doing great work and he got great reviews for Donnie Brasco. And it's almost like entitled, like, like oh, what, that's not good enough for him? Now he has to go off ah, and, yes. and, 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 and do these weird little yeah. movies? We were telling him good things, and that should be why he does this, not for some weird bullshit like oh artistic satisfaction you should be you're getting good box office and you're getting and i'm saying nice things about you yeah 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 he's very snide about the idea of just art movies or small movies in general he, he sort of dismisses um all of them really i mean he doesn't praise any of the small movies he he meant there's some that he only mentions and doesn't uh condemn like dead yeah. man but everything else he brings up um you, you know he uh, I mean, the nicest thing he can say about uh, Hideous Kinky and Holy, Holy Smoke when he's talking about Kate Winslet is that they're obscure. I don't know, like, he, yeah. but, and then he, but then, like, this goes back to our idea, like, we were talking about referencing on the movies and having a differing opinion. He talks mm-hmm. about uh, Matt Damon, um, who abruptly shifted gears after 2001's Ring-A-Ding Smash Ocean's Eleven by starring in Gus Van Sant's nearly silent cellular ramble, Jerry. Well, mm-hmm. I thought Jerry was a great movie. Uh, and so like immediately he's lost me here because he hasn't even considered that someone like you were talking about, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he hasn't considered that, um, this person might be doing it for a reason other than their image. Matt Damon might have seen something in the character or the story yeah. of Jerry, much like I did. I thought it was a really good movie. Uh, and, and, and he just dismisses it as a, as a ramble because it is, I it just, it, it, his whole approach to movies here feels very populist. Like I was going to say, doesn't it seem... Or, or, I mean, I hate to be mean, but even pedestrian. One could even say a certain degree of lowbrow, where I know it's... Okay, here's the image I have in my own mind. And perhaps it's appropriate that I that I mentioned uh, National Review and uh, Armand White earlier, because, not to get political, but... So, obviously, you know, I, I, I lean a certain way. Unfortunately, leaning that way, you run across a lot of anti-intellectualism. Uh, now, the thing is, I understand why they're saying that. We, a lot of them say, 
pure intellectualism, specific, specifically an academic type of intellectualism, is not actually going to save you. It's not going to – that's not necessarily the same as somebody who actually has practical knowledge in whatever it is. So somebody who understands you know, military theory and is brilliant is maybe not as – certainly not the same as somebody who's been out in the battlefield. I think, I think it takes both. So I, had, I absolutely understand I there's, what they're saying. I know we're – again, uh, I, I think that you know, there's a, there seems to be a split in the GOP now. Mm-hmm. Because in the in the in the 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 Bush the the George W. Bush sort of model of the GOP mm-hmm. was I think a little too focused on gut over brains. Yes, but then I think the Tea Party type of uh, which is not the GOP but the that part of the right wing mm-hmm. um, took that so far that now it's split to where where there's this other uh, faction that is more reasonable about it, like you. Well, oddly enough, I actually identify to a certain extent with the Tea Party. I tend not to like their rhetoric, but that's that's the way that goes. Um, yeah, and that's as a okay. We're not talking about politics, but so I need to remind myself of that. But all that is to say, I'm not opposed to. So uh, a certain group tends to be really cynical about Hollywood and art in general because not only do they feel as though it's not for them, which admittedly it often, it, not always, but it often is not, um, but that also there's a, I don't know, like that Hollywood is often trying to, or, or artistic types or whatever, are always trying to assert uh, a certain degree of superiority. I'm not saying that's what I think, uh, but they they tend to put that out there, and so this article seems to have that quality to it, almost as if to say, and I apologize, everybody, for the accent I am about to use. <laughs> don't don't uh, use it then. Can't help myself. Have no choice. Okay. Something to the effect of, let's say, let's say Johnny Depp decides. Oh, let's go with let's go with uh, Christian Bale. Uh, Christian Bale does Batman and then he goes and does, you know, something, I don't know. I guess the fighter was fairly mainstream, but rescue uh, Dawn was after Batman. Okay. Let's go rescue Dawn. Um, this article almost seems like, well, 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 look who's too good for Batman. (laughs) What do you think? You're better than me. I guess I could have used a Boston accent, but I'm not good at one. (laughs) Um, and just that kind of think it needed an accent at all. It's, th- but that's that's the image in my head. You say populist, and I know it sounds terrible of me, but and like you say southern, yeah, kinda. <laughs> there's, but there's so many. Oh my god, this is slightly off topic. Okay, what you do know you, how? Um, what do you got? You hate Bill Maher? Yes. Um, he said a thing the other day that is. This is like why I can't even like like his larger point, which is about. Um, Walmart's treatment of its workers and and the you know um, income gap and the difference sure. between you know Walmart's employees and its owners and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. um, that were points I largely agreed with and then he said something he talked about how how much money the owners of Walmart have the the owner the family mm-hmm. and how they built an art museum in uh, Bentonville Arkansas and then he said. <sighs> I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember exactly, but he said, Benville, Arkansas, 500 miles away from anyone who would care about art. 
which is that was like well now i'm not hearing anything else you're fucking saying because that is the most ignorant yeah. insulting thing maybe yeah. i've ever heard you fucking idiot yeah. and you know Moron. what Ra- that is terrible and i will say this and in, in defense of myself uh rather than a specific place or a specific region i think i have a specific character in mind which is a character from cool hand luke uh which is which is the guy you know what we have is a failure to communicate uh, right. can't you just imagine that guy surveying these these mainstream actors and be like well well like that kind of thing and that character happens to be southern i have nothing against southern people yeah. uh i you know i i lived amongst those um <laughs> I wish you'd seen the, the it, little hand that gesture I just did, listeners. Um, and some of them probably cared about art. I've, I've heard of the occasional smug. That's the worst. Mar, you piece of shit. Yeah, Oof. that's All pretty. Right. That's pretty rough. That's that's no good. Okay, uh, back to the so, subject. Man, we are just man. You, here's okay. You've had a rough day at work today. I've had a rough week uh, okay. for reasons I can't go into. Um, I think it's coming out in this episode we are being really negative except Good. except about john panette yeah, we're we on board with john panette but it's just so okay so we've talked about the tone of the article perhaps we can move beyond that uh except to say that actors get paid a lot they are at the forefront of things they're at the forefront of gossip if somebody's going to get if somebody's going to get famous like name recognition famous it's from hollywood it's probably going to be an actor Right. I mean, every once in a while, you'll get like, I mean, if you were to, t- if you were to talk to people who just, they like movies, but it's not a big deal for them and say, name a director, I'd, they'd probably say Spielberg or Hitchcock. Right. Scorsese. And that's, people know Scorsese. Maybe. Um, but like, it's, so I understand there's, and when actors who are paid a great deal are in the forefront and people feel like, oh, they have so much money, they have a lot of fame, they have a life that no one, that we can only dream of to a certain extent. And so there is a general sense that they like owe us something, whatever it might be. And so th- the article does seem to smack of a cert- of that kind of attitude of like, they, yeah, they're not allowed to do this thing. And if they are, it's not unlike, does he bring this up? I don't, I don't remember who does. It's not unlike when an actor decides they want to have a rock band. People view it as just like, it's like, Oh, you want to be in your little indie film? Okay. That's fine. That's not unlike, uh, you know, what the hell? Uh, 30 seconds to Mars, 30 seconds to Mars, 30 odd foot, 30 odd foot of grunt. grunt, Yeah. Uh, The box cutters. Yeah. The 30 Um, box cutters. (laughs) Um, what else? Uh, dog star. Okay. Uh, P, uh, what? That was Johnny Depp's band. P. Like the letter P, like the like the vegetable, or the I oh okay, I think it's a legume. I don't think it's a vegetable. Okay, um, Dog Star was Keanu Reeves. Okay, uh, Box Cutters is of course Bill Gal Thornton. Of course, and then he, you know, Bill Gal Thornton deserves a little ridicule. Ridicule he uh, right. gets for that that radio interview. Yeah, and that's the other half of it. Um, but what I will say is that like it's just, I'm sure there are probably some people in Hollywood who get into it so that they can be famous. And that's it. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or have a lot of money. In fact, I know, I know for sure that in, in college I ran across a person or two who said they wanted to get in a film because they could make a lot of money. And, and I, my first thought was like, there's, 
there's got to be easier ways to make money than coming out here and maybe hitting. Yeah, that's that's a that's a bad plan. Uh, that's, that's a bad life plan. Who was I want to say it was Roger Ebert who said, even though it has nothing to do with movies, who said, um. It's really easy to make a lot of money if the only thing you want to do is make a lot of money. He is quoting the character Bernstein from Citizen Kane when he says that. There's oh, no that trick right? to making money if all you want to do is make money. Oh, okay. um, and so uh, – Yeah, but I've always thought that was true. Oh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Like if that's – that's – it's how you wind up being George Costanza. <laughs> like he goes from not merely job to job but industry to industry. Just yeah. he goes where the money is and where the where the opportunities are and where people can tolerate him. And so um, – but that's the thing. So that's some people. But I would venture to say most actors, directors, most artists simply want to – they love this thing so much that they have to do it. And if a good script comes along and they see the opportunity to like really do something – why wouldn't they do it? Especially if they've been in something mainstream that allow that allows them the f- the financial freedom to live the life that they want to live, complete with, for example, like security detail and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, live the life they want to live, like that takes care of that. And now, not crapping on the big stuff, but now I can just now it's on to the next part, whatever it might be. It could be a giant budget, it could be low budget, whatever. And so to act like one is more valuable than the other or one is or, realer than the other. Is or that said. even they're that different. Like what right. I, I, want, I want to ask uh, Mr. Nashawadi, like where does he put American Hustle? Yeah. Like, it, it, I mean, which that's that's Christian Bale. Which is it? it? It's obviously a weird he gained a lot of weight and had yeah. weird hair and did a lot of weird stuff. But it's also a big, you know, a major Hollywood release. Sony Pictures release with Sony, right? I don't. I, I don't remember. So. I never pay attention to that. I probably should. Um, I only know because of the like award screenings and stuff with the oh, because I know which like list they're on. So I'm pretty sure that was Sony. Um, so yeah, well, I mean that that seems to that would blow a hole in his argument. Which which one is that? Well, and, and is, also also, can you think of a more independent type performance than Jack Sparrow in right. Pirates of the Caribbean? Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean that that goes right along with uh, all the stuff that he was doing before. I mean, he mentions. Uh, Nash White mentions Arizona Dream, Dead Man, and The Libertine and The Brave. Um, and yeah, that's just as weird as all those performances. Yeah. Uh, and before Donnie Brasco, he had, of course, done Ed Wood and Edward Scissorhands and stuff. Like, yeah. Donnie Brasco, wonderful film though it is. It really is. Um, you know, that was around the time as like, you know, Nick of Time and stuff. When Johnny Depp be- started to become like, a conventional lead lead actor with like movie star looks, you know, not decked out in like black and white, either makeup or photography and just acting strangely like, Oh, all right. He's graduated. A lot of people view it as graduating Mm -hmm. from this kind of strange actor here to something to like a leading man, possibly a romantic lead, uh, possibly an action thriller lead and all that sort of thing. And so when he showed that, He's like, well, that's fine, but I think I'm going to continue being Johnny Depp, which is all he's ever been, and I'm just going to do this now. And people act as though he's – like you said, there, there's an entitlement there, and there does seem to be this attitude. It's like, well, we we did everything we could to give you the fame that people so badly want right? and the, and the status that people so badly want. Why are you spitting on our generosity? And that – well, first off, because I want to talk, get to James Franco in a second here. Okay. Um, but speaking of Donny Brasco, this is a tangent again. Um, have you ever read, like, the real story? I have not. So, you know, like, the end, spoilers for the end of Donny Brasco, 
the implication is that Lefty, played by Al Pacino, mm-hmm. is um, he's gotten the call. He's going to go off, and they're going to kill him because he is the one who brought Donnie in. Right. In real life, they were going to kill Lefty, and the F- FBI like swooped him up first, and he was uh, first Lefty, the real Lefty. Refused to believe that Joe Pisto- that Donnie Brasco was anyone but Donnie, mm-hmm. and then when he saw him testify in the courtroom, he said, "I'm going to kill that motherfucker." And he went to prison and was so loyal that the mafia like gave him a pass. Whereas other people like Sonny Black, no, um, actually were uh, who is uh, that's the name of the character that Michael Madsen plays, right? Sonny, Black? I believe so. Yes, um, actually was killed for essentially for letting Donnie Brasco into the mafia, but Lefty Ruggiero, Ruggiero was so loyal that they were like, eh, and they let him live. <laughs> you know what? This completely changes the way I view the mafia. <laughs> I guess they're stand-up guys now. Um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. So you said you okay. want to talk about James Franco. Yeah, and, and this this sense of an entitlement, or this this idea that one is more real than the other. Because when he talks about, he talks about the other way here with James Franco. Um, he talks about doing things like spring breakers and interior leather bar. Uh, and that it's a, it's more puzzling than the, la- than the last. So that when he does appear in a mainstream film, such as Oz, the great and powerful, it feels like a giant put on. So now he's, now I feel like Chris Nashawati is saying, well, not James Franco was so weird that he went and ruined this real movie that he was in. <laughs> <laughs> well, admittedly, when you're dealing with James Franco, you can feel that about almost everything he does at this point. But, but he's it, still a committed actor. It speaks to your idea, though, that this person ha- should be more grateful. Right. That James Franco should be more grateful for his fame and yeah. shouldn't mess with it by um, – he's messing with things like The Oz the Great and Powerful, which yeah. was not a very well-reviewed movie. Right. Um, to be in things like Spring Breakers, which is one of the more better-reviewed movies of the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it shows a real um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a, a narrow vision, I think, here. Well, it's, I'm glad you said narrow because – the more I think about it, it's yes. I mean, certainly in what he's talking about, he does seem to be devaluing, if not, if not entire movies, at least certain choices, but, and there's an entitlement there. There's a lot of things, but on top of everything, there seems to be this idea of like just constantly dividing things into your, this, whether it be like this type of movie is this, and this type of movie is this, and these two should not, should never meet. Ever. And if one and if often an actor, if an actor decides he wants to be that if he's primarily in one and he decides he wants to be in the other. No, that is not how this works. You have your place and you yeah. need to know it. I mean, I'd be inclined to know what Chris, uh, Chris Nashawati thinks of the career of Steven Soderbergh, because um, he's a guy who, I mean, just when like achieves, I would venture to say huge mainstream success and then turns around and does like full frontal. Or the good German, or stuff like that, you know. And I mean, did he mention Clooney in here? Like Clooney, no, because yeah, that's someone who uh, has shown a real interest. I mean, he came he came away from ER. Okay, actually, I'm glad you brought up George Clooney because okay. I want to compare him to Scarlett Johansson, who is the, I guess the uh, the muse for this article, yeah, the inspiration here. Um, uh, I didn't I didn't look at under the skin her working with jonathan uh glazer glazer and say oh look she's weirding it up because 
Yes, Scarlett Johansson, I guess. Yes, she's a big movie star. But she didn't, like... She started off in things like Ghost World and The Man Who Wasn't There, you know? And, like, she's always had... Yeah, she got her start... I think her start in a smaller film called Manny and Low when she was, like, super young. But what, what I mean is that she's always had legitimacy to her. Yeah. You know? Whereas George Clooney is a guy who came off of VR. Yeah. And clearly went for... Uh, I think in his first few years there, uh, went for went try. He was trying to be a movie star. Yeah, that's what he was doing. Coming off of, coming off of you, one fine and day, in, and admittedly, Batman su- and Robin, he succeeded. Um, I mean, he became a movie star. Yeah. around that time. Yeah, and then uh, he changed it up, or you know, yeah. switched it up, or, or whatever. He found something more in himself. Yeah, uh, and I will say, uh, I'm I'm I want to explore a little bit. You said uh, Scarlett Johansson always had legitimacy to her, implying that George Clooney coming off of ER and then making certain decisions that those were not legitimate decisions. Don't get me wrong. I don't think those are necessarily good movies. And also, I will say... Are they legitimate artistic decisions? Did did he take one fine day? Did he, like, sign on to that movie for... Because he saw artistic fulfillment in it we'll never know well and if he well, but let me ask I, you think, this. I don't think i'm completely uh wrong to be skeptical about it. oh i don't think so either and i mean everything a lot of it does smack of um agents and managers being like all right george yeah you gotta be i mean this Michelle is your Pfeiffer is hot right now yeah <laughs> uh can't argue with that um that's well, what you I'm, meant, right? What's it? Yeah. I'm a um, big fan of Michelle Pfeiffer. I don't want to sound like I'm making fun of the fact that she's not in movies as much as she used to be. I know. It's, I, I want her to to get big again. What was she? She was in Dark Shadows recently. Dark Shadows. Yeah. She wasn't, it's not a function of her being bad. There just wasn't much to her. It wasn't a very good movie. Um, but, uh, so, but okay. So around this time, he also did Out of Sight with Jennifer Lopez. Everything right. about that seemed like... Uh, I remember I didn't see it at the time because I thought it was just going to be another peacemaker, another whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't hate the peacemaker. I know you don't. Um, that's um, what's her name who made Deep Impact, Mimi Letter. Oh yeah, um, who uh, had um, directed a couple episodes of ER, so mm-hmm. they knew each other from that, including what may be what might be the best episode of ER of all time from season one, which is called Love's Labor's Lost, which has Bradley Bradley Whitford in it. Nice. Um, you should check that out. Uh, works on its own and it's uh, some heavy shit. Heavy shit, you say? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, I will say that in Peacemaker, there is a line. I can't even put my finger on why I don't like the line, but it made it into the trailer. And then you and I watched Peacemaker. And I remember when it when the line hit, I was like, when it showed up, I was like, ah, what? And it's uh, <laughs> after uh, one of the like nuclear bombs is stolen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have George Clooney yelling into the phone or whatever. And he says, a guy got away with a bomb. <laughs> I don't know why. I can't put my, my finger on why. Uh-huh. That line, maybe it's just, there's such, it sounds like a regular person describing a movie plot. It's like, ah, a, guy, a guy got away with a bomb. Like, no specificity at all. If he had said the bomb, somehow that would have been better. But there's, it's so noncommittal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I know exactly. What you mean. I can't put my finger on why, yeah. but it, that line's ridiculous. But anyway, so, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I understand what you're saying, certainly. And and 
with Batman, I mean, nobody looks at that script and says, oh, clearly I need right. to do this. He might have done it because it looked like fun. That's possible. Or it, it would have been Batman's hot right now and here's your chance. Right. You know, it does, it does kind of have that quality to it. And, you know, and I think he started as an actor and then saw the opportunity to be a movie star, as often happens, took it. And then with that was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And from then on, I Three think... Three Kings before that. Th- oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, like, that one-two punch, I think, changed the way people saw him. Uh, certainly in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? People see a total lack of vanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as time went on, you know, but that's the thing. Did Solaris, what was that, Oh three, Oh four, uh, Two or three, I think. Oh, okay. um, yeah. But yeah, and then, of course, he went right... He did Ocean's Eleven, where he looks as George Clooney as he possibly can. But then... You know, he wins his first Oscar, I guess at this point, his only Oscar, um, for uh, Syriana, where, you know, puts on weight, grows a beard, shaves his hairline back. Like, we all heard about that mm-hmm. going into it. I'd be fascinated to know what Chris Nashawati thought of that, because it seems as though he's just gunning for his Oscar. And he takes a support, he takes supporting status instead of lead. And so, um, but that's the thing. Like, his character, I think Syriana is a good, not wonderful movie with a pretty solid script and his character is great do you think it's a solid script i that, that's my main i think parts of it are a solid it. script um i don't like the way it's all i don't like its structure but there's not there's not like there's not a single scene in syriana that's more than like a minute long uh and that that just drives me crazy it feels overly fractured to the point where i never felt like i was invested in any of it well it goes it goes to show you that because it's stephen gagan who wrote uh traffic and so he wrote it but he also directed syriana Mm -hmm. and i think it goes to show you that like uh, there's a big difference like you can have the same type of script and because those scripts are are kind of similar in their structure you get a different director in there and it makes all the difference in the world. And I know traffic doesn't work for you as well as it used to, but from a structure standpoint, I always know what's going on. I always know who I'm following. Uh, but there's, I think there's some genuinely good. My favorite part of Syriana actually has, my favorite scene has, uh, in my best, my recollection, no words in it at all, which is the young, like would be terrorists on the boat going out to, uh, that's a great one. Do terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you should write the peacemaker. (laughs) Some guy got away with it. Terrorism. <laughs> Doesn't it? It sounds like something from Lost Skeleton of Cadaver. Of like, it's like a guy got away with a bomb so he could go do terrorism. Um, uh, anyway. But yeah, and so, uh, so yeah, it's like there's an example. And it, admittedly, one could look at George Clooney's decisions and what resulted, which was an Oscar, and say that's why he did it. Mm-hmm. Certainly not because he wanted to play the role, not because of these other things, not because he's an actor. He did it so he could win an Oscar or at least be nominated and be thought of, you know, as a De Niro or something like that. Somebody who puts on weight, changes the way he looks physically, tries to strip himself of his charisma for this thing. Like you could look at it very cynically like that. And incidentally, the cynic could have a point like he got an Oscar. And from then on, he was Oscar worthy. I mean, he's been nominated several times since then. And so... um, and that brings in another thing aside from, uh, you know, somebody trying to gain at least a certain degree of legitimacy in how they are viewed, trying to gain legitimacy within the industry and like accolades and that sort of thing. An argument could be made for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, but I, I feel like the main thing that bothers me 
that I'll go back to what I said because we can wrap up soon. Um, the main thing that bothers me is that he's putting up that Chris Nashwadi in, in this article is putting up such a wall between one kind of movie and yeah. another, and also um, that he's that he seems to be saying once you've achieved, once you've gotten over the wall mm-hmm. to the big movies, it's again. I feel like I'm repeating myself here, but. Uh, it's almost it's almost a slap in the face to go back. Yeah, it's it's un, it's ungrateful or disrespectful. Yeah, to go back and do uh, whatever. Um, and, and he's not he's not considering that these people are really invested in, in these movies. With the yeah, I mean there are I haven't seen Interior Leather Bar, but I know some of the stuff that James Franco has done has smacked of. Uh, he's doing it because it interests him, but he might not be. You yeah, know, but you could do worse than somebody like. Again, I'm not a huge fan of of self indulgence, but it's like he's doing it because he in, it interests him. But I also feel like I don't know. You didn't see Lovelace where he plays Hugh, a young Hugh Hefner. I did not. Like, I I get the feeling he just thought like oh, that'd be weird me playing a young Hugh Hefner, possibly. And he yes. doesn't seem to be trying very hard in it. Whereas Spring Breakers, I mean, he's he he is lost in that role. He's yeah. I don't mean that. I said that it sounds like a bad thing right. i mean he loses himself in he loses role. himself in the, i don't i'm not watching james franco when i watch spring breakers i'm watching alien yeah the movie alien i, I, it's, it's I watched bold, alien on my phone while i was at the movie theater it's a bold choice for <laughs> harmony corinne to have his character sit down and watch alien <laughs> it in its entirety <laughs> corinne you brilliant genius um but uh yeah, and you know what? I will say, uh, if I might get up on my uh, high horse here, uh, although I'm sure I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else, I will say that, like, I think what what got me about this article was just how, and oddly enough, I, I this is a word that I used when talking about uh, Mad Zoller Sites, although I, in retrospect, I wish I hadn't because it, it applies to this article more. <laughs> um, there's a cattiness to it that I really don't like. Um, and I feel like it's very easy for critics. I mean, we've been plenty catty and judgmental and that kind of thing in this episode. Like everyone does it. I understand. Um, but at the very least, when it comes to like giving artists of all kinds, like giving them the benefit of the doubt and assuming that they are sincere, whether they achieve what they're trying to do or not, that's another issue. Um, I feel like we should save our cynicism for the studios and for the executives. Uh, but when it comes to the artist, I feel like we have a responsibility to be as charitable as possible. And if Scarlett Johansson wants to, who is in the midst of doing, you know, who's in the midst of doing like these Avengers movies, mm-hmm. but incidentally also happen to be wonderful in her, um, you know, he doesn't mention that one. No. And just, and maybe, maybe he doesn't mention it because quite possibly her worked for him and it appears this movie did not. And That's, so and he that saw that goes back to what I'm saying about American hustle. Yeah. It either worked for him or it got enough mainstream attention right. that it's, it passes a bar. Yeah. Yeah. Sort. And so, and that's the thing is like, I think we should always clears a bar. Is what I think. We should always like passes a bar means like it's to be a lawyer. <laughs> Her's a lawyer. Now you say <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. Spike Jones, you genius. Um, but uh a guy became a lawyer (laughs) (laughs) oh man a lawyer passes a bar (laughs) so um a lawyer guy (laughs) 
<laughs> man, oh man, we got to go watch the Peacemaker now. We do. I have, but, the, um, I have the DVD at home. Yeah, and now you're never gonna. If you watch that, that line comes along, you are gonna burst out laughing, yeah. and Natalie is gonna be like, "What the hell are you laughing at?" <laughs> um, but yeah, so I okay. I feel bad. I feel now like I'm veering into Matt Zoller sites territory, saying what we should do. But what I will say is that like. It never like trying to be more positive than negative, especially when it comes to artists and especially if they're like, imagine, I I don't think any big, anybody who's achieved, you know, mainstream star level status is going to read this article and be like, well, hang on, you know, he's got a point. I guess I won't do this small indie film. I don't think that's going to happen, but like this discourages people from taking risks. And I feel like that is not what we should be doing. We should champion that and say good for Scarlett Johansson. She could have admittedly, I think she does good work in the Avengers I think she does very good work, but it's like she could have just r- rode that wave for the rest of her career if she wanted to. Maybe even insisted on there being a Black Widow movie, which I think there probably will be at some point, and I look forward to it if that ever happens. Who should but direct like, it? I'm bad at that. I don't know. Catherine Bigelow. And I'm not saying that just because she's a woman, but I like the idea of Catherine Bigelow doing a superhero movie. See, I said I think we talked about it when we had uh, Todd Vanderwerf on the show. Um, that, uh, you know, I think what Thor, the dark world was, uh, I can't remember his name, but, a a, a TV guy, TV yeah. director, Captain America's TV people. Yeah. And so I think we were talking about Michelle McLaren who did mm. so many episodes of breaking bad or Jack Bender, who's done so many episodes of everything, uh, doing one of these superhero movies. See, and you know, TV directors better than I do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just. I don't know. It's, I feel like one, okay. I, this is getting very lofty, uh, as I sometimes do when I talk about like what a critic can do and just like, we're, you know, we're supposed to champion things, even if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't work out, that's fine. But it's like, part of me feels like, Oh, this movie wasn't very good, but you know what? Good for her for taking a risk. Right. I don't know. That's the way I see it. Meanwhile, all, I mean, I haven't seen Under the Skin. All the critics that I like really like the movie. Yeah, and I like Jonathan Glazer. He hasn't worked. He hasn't. Earth. I saw it. I, I I wish I could tell you I remember much about it. I don't. It was what ten years ago. Um, I don't remember much about it. I remember thinking Nicole Kidman did great work, and incidentally, Nicole Kidman was very much Nicole Kidman at the time. I think she had just come off an Oscar win, and uh, then she went and did Birth, and then Dogville, and all that sort of thing. You know, her career has been an interesting one as well um, that we should profile sometime. Um, we should. But yeah. I agree. So it's, uh, so I was very happy, by the way. I probably would not have read this article if you had not emailed me. Um, Are you not a subscriber anymore? I am, but you I don't, don't read everything. I, I tend not to read stuff uh, of movies I haven't seen just yet. That makes sense. Um, and especially when it was one like that, which I was interested in, in seeing. Um, right. But I'm glad that you that you brought it to my attention because it does bring up it does bring up uh, some very, for lack of a better term, unpleasant tendencies in the critic world and maybe just in the the film world in general, which is to be suspicious uh, anytime somebody makes a choice that is a little bit uh, different from the norm. Right. I agree, which is, and I agree with you that that's something we should be encouraging, uh, as part of the film audience. Yeah. Just, I guess whatever, whatever an artist finds stimulating, Mm -hmm. maybe not even satisfying, but maybe they just want to try something, whatever they find stimulating, go get them. Cause you know, 
it may, even if it doesn't turn out that well, like maybe the next one will and we will all reap the benefits. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, when you find out the guy from System of a Down made an entire classical album. There's a part of you that goes, that sounds like a bullshit, like, vanity project. But you have to, like I did, at least give it a chance before you say, yep, that's terrible. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, and that's... But, a- I, but I, 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 I pat myself on the back for listening to Serge Tankian's classical, classical album. But that's the thing. You, you know, you earned... I, okay, this... I'm taking another step. I think you've earned the right to be negative about that because you gave him the benefit of the doubt as much as possible going in. If if ever you were going to like that album, like, I mean, if you gave it every opportunity to satisfy you uh-huh. and then it didn't, it's like, all right, I did, I did my part as a critic, as a listener, as whatever, like you did your part. Now, if they didn't do theirs, all right, then you have every right to say that was terrible. So, yeah, and that's the thing I in reading this part of me is like, wow, I sure would have liked I, I think part of the reason people are upset. Genuinely, I read some uh, some comments is that people are upset that the review part of it is just the last paragraph. is just the last paragraph. Part yeah. of me feels like write two things, write the essay and then write your review. Yeah. All right. Um, on that note, um, you can find us at Battleship dot com. That's where you find uh, this podcast, all the other podcasts and the BP fleet and also all of our movie reviews um, this week. What's 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 out? We got the unknown known came out last week. Your review yeah. is up. My review this week of uh, two reviews this week for me: only lovers left alive and Ivan Reitman's Draft Day. Mm-hmm. Um, we got all, all kinds of reviews from other uh, our other contributors. Reader reviewed uh, Perfect Sisters this this week, which sounds interesting. Um, By the time this posts, there will be a couple of uh, home videos review home video reviews from me. One would be Kurosawa's. Uh, the Hidden Fortress, the other, right. uh, Tom, I think his name's Thomas Wright's No Holds Barred. Right. Which, by the way, already up. I am, yes, it is. Uh, I am quite proud of that review because I feel like, I feel like I captured it. I think I captured <laughs> that film so there you in go. that review. It is astonishingly stupid, but it is also too stupid to be forgotten. Everyone needs to ne- know about that movie. Um, yeah, so check out that. And again, check out my Only Lovers Left Alive review. The movie's great. And I never once said, what, Tom Hiddleston's in Avengers movies now. He can't be doing this sort of thing. <laughs> he can't be playing, you know, uh, vampires with a strong case of ennui. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's at BattleshipRetention.com. You can email us, David, at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at The Pretension. You can follow Tyler at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, which you can find at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Well, what's going on over there this week? All right. Um, a number of people actually this, – this is actually by popular demand. Uh, over at More Than One Lesson, we did talk about Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Sure. Um, it's a, about two hours long, that episode. Movie? Oh. <laughs> you know what? I think it's probably about both uh, in, in those cases. And so uh, that's available at morethanonelesson.com. And, uh, and then in a few days, keep an eye out, we do also review the uh, Christian film that is making the rounds and making money called God's Not Dead. Right. What did we think of it? I, I think you might be able to predict what I thought of it. <laughs> um, so that's at morethanonelesson.com. Real quick, I completely forgot something else that is completely not even movie related. 
Does it have to do with the topic? Because I feel it like has it has to do with Entertainment Weekly. Okay. That it was the previous episode or issue. I don't know if you read it, but the idea was about if Kurt Cobain were still because it's been twenty years. Yes. If Kurt Cobain was still alive, what you know? What more did he have to offer? Yeah. And this article by Kyle Anderson, not our Kyle Anderson, no. uh, the other, the Entertainment Weekly Kyle Anderson, was a bunch of hooey. Okay. From me, because I felt like. There's a certain brand of people, I don't know if brand is the right word, but there are some people who I think want to completely forget that Kurt Cobain came from the punk world and that Dave Grohl came from the metal world and that Nirvana was more often than not a rock band. Oh, yeah. But they want to focus because of this, they want to hold up this idea of him as this... uh, musical martyr or or what have you they want to hold up all apologies or come as you are right. or the softer songs and say oh well the last thing they did was the mtv unplugged so that's the direction they were going and it's like fuck no you. that's a thing they did yeah to me i i guess the to tie to movies you and i get angry when people uh sort of either subconsciously or overtly treat comedy as a lesser form indeed and i feel the same way about uh, heavy music or or hard rock music because mm-hmm. that's most most of what I listen to is metal and punk and hardcore and I listen to a lot of other stuff too but I don't f- think of that stuff as like a guilty pleasure or, or somehow less important yeah. than the new Sun Kill Moon or Bon Iver or whatever um, that that feels more weighty and so to focus on that part of Kurt Cobain is I think disrespectful to who he was as an artist this is you know you look at their last studio album. Um, had songs like Tourette's and Scentless Apprentice and like some really abrasive stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really pissed me off reading this and, and just focusing on like, oh yeah, the next album was going to have strings on it. It was going to be mostly acoustic. And like, maybe that's true, but that's still, still it's disrespectful to act like, oh, we lost him before he got to some of the more important stuff that he was going to do. And that, that was the tone of the article and it really upset me. So... This is an, I figured this episode about us being upset with Entertainment Weekly, I would find a way to inject how pissed off I was about that into it. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's very interesting, and that actually goes to something you and I were talking about before the episode, actually, uh, before we started recording, which is this tendency, and we all we all do it. I do it. It's a lot of fun to talk about what might have been, uh-huh. and this is an example of that. Yeah, you and I were talking about it in terms of film, obviously, but yeah. uh, and we're going to do an episode on that. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, um, my other podcast is the weekly television podcast, Hey, Watch This, with Paul and David. I'm back this week, and we were talking about uh, Mike Judge's new HBO show, Silicon Valley, and we were also talking about um, The Crazy Ones on CBS, I think. That's right. I don't know why we're talking about it. Oh, do you know why? I mean, like, no. it did He didn't... Okay, no. because, what's her name, Pam Dauber is on it. Uh, she was Mindy from Mork and Mindy. Oh, okay. So she oh. is on. So it's like a Mork and Mindy reunion. Oh, okay. And so he was excited about. Yeah, Paul no, he did not tell me why he wanted to watch the oh, okay. you know season one episode twenty or whatever of yeah. the crazy ones. Anyway, um, so that's it. Uh, you can find that at Battleship Retention. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.